So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspirations, and this the 1st of May. It's the third Sunday of Easter. My name is John Keeley, and help me to present the program again today, Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we keeping? Good. Thanks, Shane, for joining me on this this 1st of May. I mean, the, the, the year is flying. It's already four months gone so far. But we welcome all of our listeners who are joining us from various parts of the world. Um, locally and not so locally. Some people many thousands of miles away from here. But thank you indeed for joining us. And we hope you'll enjoy the programme again today, the one that we've got lined up. Um, we also want to especially welcome those listeners who are housebound and lonely and struggling, those people who maybe rely on podcasts, listen to podcasts quite often. You're welcome and thanks indeed for supporting us in prayer each week. That's so important for us. Our podcast uh, does include, as people might be aware at this stage, uh, interviews on faith topics, inspirational music, and of course, reflecting on the Sunday Gospel. All of our podcasts can be heard at comeandseeinspirations.budspread.com. If you just Google Come and See Inspirations, you'll find us there. Our blog, sacredspace102.blogspot.com, uh, we were using quite a bit up to a few years ago. Shane kept that going for about eight and nine years. Our historical uh, podcasts are available there, going back to 2009. And we can also be heard at Spotify, iTunes, and of course, Facebook page, Come and See Inspirations. So really, if you just Google Come and See Inspirations, you'll find us there. You can contact us if you, if, if you so wish, and please do, by texting 87 That's 87 for our international visitors, our listeners, 00353 Might be easier to email us, and that's on come and see inspirations at gmail.com. All one word, come and see inspirations at gmail.com. So again, thanks again indeed for joining us. Of course, as our regular listeners would be aware, this uh, point of the program is where Shane shares some saints for the week that are going to um, maybe guide us during the week, hopefully. So, Shane, what have you got lined up for us this week? So, in terms of, um, I suppose, bits and pieces liturgically this week, first of all, apologies to listeners, because we forgot to mention, of course, that today, being the 1st of May, is Beltra, or, or May Day, which, of course, meant that last night was May Eve. And, of course, traditionally in Ireland... Uh, for May Eve, the custom, the tradition would have been for people to walk the bounds of the land and sprinkling it with holy water in and seeking um, God's blessing for the summer and the, and the, and the crops that were growing. So uh, we forgot to mention that last week, but be sure you can walk the bounds at any stage. It just, it's traditional to do it on, of course, May Eve. And of course, as we head into the month of May, of course, very much May is the month associated with Mary. Um, and of course, the, the, the pious devotions, I suppose, very much involved. Uh, many people put up a May altar, particularly something that can be done with the kids and the grandkids. It uh, doesn't have to be anything too complicated. A statue of Our Lady and a couple of flowers, and that gets you through. Gets you through. Um, also, of course, very much um, things around uh, the, the devotions. Very, it's in a month where the rosary is encouraged. Uh, many parishes crown Virgin uh, with with statues of the Virgin as well, of course. And of course, today, John, I was hoping we might be able to play 
uh, of course, flowers are the rarest at some stage, uh, as it's, of course, very traditional at the beginning of the month. Uh, of course, as we're in the Easter season, um, we are also citing the Regis Daily instead of the Angelus at the moment, uh, because it's the antiphon Mary addresses to her son for the resurrection. And it's, it's, it's the rosary, of course, as we mentioned, the litanies. And of course, we recently spoke about uh, the, the consecration of that feast day of St. Louis de Montfort, uh, one of the great spiritual masters around the act of consecration to Mary. So just to remind people of that, May is the month. Um, and then, of course, moving on in terms of the liturgical calendar. So for those of us praying the Psalter, we're on week three this week. <coughs> Excuse me. And Monday, the 2nd of May, is the feast day of St. Athanasius. very much associated with Alexandria in Egypt, and he was born around 295. Famous in church history context as one of the great defenders against the heresy of Arianism, which denied the fact that Jesus Christ was fully human and fully divine. So that's what Arianism basically boils down to, and there was a couple of offshoots of it. Um, Athanasius was one of the great defenders of the great, of the belief, the doctrine that Christ was both human and divine. And he had to suffer much tribulations and was numerous times sent into exile. Uh, a tough old bird is how you describe Athanasius in his, in his time. He didn't take fools lightly, uh, but he is down as one of the great doctors of church. Tuesday the 3rd is the Philip is sorry is the feast day of two of the apostles St Philip and St James. Philip of course very much is the man from Bethsaida. He was a follower of John the Baptist before becoming a follower of Christ. St James is the son of Alphaeus and a cousin of Jesus and was the head of the church in Jerusalem uh, in the early years. Attributed to the epistle the epistle to St James is attributed to him. He was martyred in the year 62 AD, um, and, uh, as, as, and it was one of the reasons which led to the disbursement of the church, the early church, from, um, from, from, from Jerusalem. So St. Philip, of course, is uh, very much associated with uh, Greece, Syria, as areas where he preached. And he's made, he's trying, his relics, rather, are in the, the Basilica of the Holy Apostles in Rome. And generally, he's the patron saint of hatters, uh, pastry chefs, and generally uh, he is shown by his uh, his martyrdom was. I'm just trying to see his martyrdom was because all the apostles suffered martyrdom. So I think Philip was actually uh, crucified. I'm fairly sure actually Saint Philip was crucified. So St. James, as I said, he lost his head in the, or in Jerusalem, the excitement of that too. And he was executed on the orders of Herod. So that's St. Philip and James, whose feast day we celebrate on the 3rd of May. On the 4th of May, we celebrate the feast day of St. Conlet in the Irish calendar. St. Conlet is associated very much with, with um, Kildare. Sorry, Wicklow, I beg your pardon. Uh, he was a, a hermit and he was persuaded by Bridget to act as a priest for her community in Kildare, yes. I knew there was a connection with Kildare. And he is venerated as a great saint. He's mentioned as the bishop and abbot of the monks of Kildare. So he was buried beside St. Bridget in the great church there. Uh, so that's St. Conlet 
whose feast day we celebrate on the 4th. On the 5th, we celebrate Blessed Edmund Rice. Blessed Edmund, of course, very much associated with the founding of the, uh, the, the presentation for that, I think it is. And uh, he died in 1844. He's a Kikini man. And after his young wife's early death, he sold his possessions and dedicated his life to the education of the poor. And he's regarded as a, a true lay apostle as well as being a committed religious. So we celebrate Blessed Edmund Rice on the 5th of May. On the 6th of May, uh, the church commemorates the feast of St. John before the Latin Gate, La Porta, La Porta Latina in Rome. Uh, it commemorates the attempted martyrdom of St. John the Apostle in the year 95 AD. John was taken from um, Ephesus to Rome by order of Domitian, and he was condemned to be taken to the Latin Gate and thrown into a cauldron of burning oil. And John stepped out of the cauldron without any injury, and, and, and said they sent him to Patmos, where he died. Uh, uh, so that's, that's, the, that's the tradition very much associated with St. John before the Latin Gate. The Latin Gate still stands in Rome. You can still see it to this day. Uh, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is still there. So that's what we have. Uh, sorry, finally then, Saturday, the 7th of, of, of May, we have the feast day of the apparition of the Holy Cross over Jerusalem. And it commemorates the appearance in on the 7th of May in 351, Pentecost of that year, of an image of the Holy Cross in Jerusalem, and which lasted for several hours and was seen by the entire city. And it was reported in a letter attributed to St. Cyril of Jerusalem. So that's the, that's the feast day that's celebrated on the 7th of May. Me. All right, John. Sure. Thanks a lot indeed for that. Thank you for sharing so much on that. And of course, it been it been the uh, the beginning of the month. We we also have the first Friday. Is that right? And the yes. So that's right. So the sixth the sixth of May is the first Friday, and the seventh of May will be the first Saturday. That does for those that maintain the devotion. Uh, and then also just to remind people, as it is the beginning of the month, hopes intentions for the month of May is that we pray for all young people called to live life to the fullest. May they see in Mary's life the way to listen, the depth of discernment, the courage that faith generates, and the dedication to service. That's a great one. For young people, may they see in Mary's life the way to listen, the depth of discernment, the courage that faith generates, and the dedication to service, and that they are called to live life to the fullest. Shane, thanks again for that. Thank you for sharing that with us. So uh, at this point of the programme, um, we, we'll go for our prayer space. For our prayer space this week, I've chosen a prayer to the Holy Spirit. And this is taken from the Newcastle West County Limerick uh, Parish prayer booklet that was out just a number of years ago. A beautiful prayer to the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, I ask you for the gift of your Holy Spirit to fill me with every grace and blessing. I need for this day. I invite you, Holy Spirit, in all the areas of my life that need guidance and enlightenment. I give you my mind, my heart, my will, and my whole being now and forever. May all may I always be open to your help and inspirations. May my may may my will conform to your divine will. May you help me to be ever faithful to Christ and the people He has put in my path my family, my friends, and even those who hurt me. 
Thank you, God, for the gifts and the fruits the Spirit fills me with. May I always use them to strengthen and defend my faith. Amen. So, uh, in part two of the program, folks, we're going to do something a bit new this week. So, um, as John has often said on the program, we try to bring something which uh, helps and kind of forms us in faith sometimes. Uh, so, this week, what we're this week and next, what we're doing is we're partnering with a website called WhatGoodNews.org. It's a UK-based website, and we've been in touch with Father Adrian Graffy, who's a scripture scholar and parish priest. Uh, working in the Diocese of Brentwood. And Father Adrian is going to, and ourselves, we're going to partner um, sharing resources that he has developed uh, on and off over the next period of time. So we're starting off with this week and next, looking at a series of reflections on the Acts of the Apostles. And he has, it's this week and next, so it's two different reflections, working through the Acts of the Apostles, which very much was the, the piece of scripture which, uh, is proclaimed in the church, particularly to Caesar. And uh, Father, Father Adrian is going to take us through it uh, and giving us reflections and, and context in relation to be able to access the scripture, looking at the wonders and also the excitement and the enthusiasm of the first communities of the faith uh, as, they, as they responded to the resurrection event at Easter. So that's what we're going to do. Just to note that the whatgoodnews.org website is supported by Independent Catholic News, the Diocese of Brentwood, and the Catholic Biblical Federation. And I'm excited to partner with Father Adrian over the next couple of weeks. Thanks for that, Shane. So uh, at this stage, we might go for our first bit of music this morning. And as Shane said, because this is the 1st of May, maybe an ideal piece of music to play. It's a beautiful hymn, Bring Flowers at the Rarest. So come back and join us again when... Father Adrian will be sharing some good news from the Acts of the Apostles. Mistress 
proclaim thee, I grant that thy children on earth be as as long as the flowers are radiant with flowers, as long as the azure shall keep its bright hue, O Mary, we crown thee with blossoms today, Queen of the angels and Queen of So welcome back again to the second part of our podcast here on Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose. Now we can listen to Father Adrian Craffey lead us in part one of his reflection on the Acts of the Apostles. This will be followed by a short piece of music, Teze music. It's the Teze Alleluia. So let's listen to Father Adrian. One of the great gifts of the Easter season is the book called The Acts of the Apostles. We read it throughout Easter, from Easter Sunday all the way through the 50 days of Easter, culminating on the Feast of Pentecost. And for me it's a sign that He's just really here. And perhaps uh, rather remarkably, the first reading we have from the Acts is on uh, Sunday morning, on Easter Sunday morning, as the first reading. And it's from chapter 10. Chapter 10 of the Acts of the Apostles, where we hear about the visit of Peter to the house of Cornelius. And we hear his announcing what is called the kerygma, the basic Christian proclamation, and proclaiming, we, Peter and his companions, we are witnesses to everything that happened. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. Yet on the third day, God raised him to life and allowed him to be seen. This is the message, the basic kerygma, the basic message about Jesus. He was put to death. or Sometimes you put him to death, but God raised him. And notice that God raised him. That's the most ancient form, most ancient way of speaking of the resurrection. God, the Father, raised, using the Greek verb egero, God raised Jesus. Of course, other ways we have also Jesus rose, 
from the dead. But the, the, the primitive way, God raised Jesus from the dead. And then Peter says, we are witnesses to everything that is crucial in this book. It's the book of the witnesses of the risen Christ. If we go back to the end of the Gospel of Luke, remember Luke and Acts belong together, written by, by Luke, 2448 in the Gospel, I'm sending upon you what the Father has promised. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And you are to go out with that power and to preach. The beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, in chapter 1, Jesus will say something very similar. You are witnesses. You will receive the power of the Holy Spirit and you will be witnesses. Now this book is called Acts. In Greek, praxis. Now I think you probably know that the titles that the books, some books are given, are not the titles which the writer necessarily gave them. The titles of the Gospels, the Gospel according to Mark, Matthew, Luke. And in particular this case, Praxis Ton Apostolon, the Acts of the Apostles. The first evidence we have of this title is in the second century from St. Irenaeus. And there's a reason why we can say fairly confidently that Luke did not give this title to his work. It's that for Luke, Apostle was reserved for the Twelve, those chosen by Jesus. For Luke, uh, he does not include Paul in that. And given that certainly half of the Acts of the Apostles is dominated by Paul, uh, it seems unlikely that Luke would have called this book the Acts of the Apostles. There are, in fact, only two uh, occasions in chapter 14 where Barnabas and Paul are referred to as apostles in this text. Of course, Paul himself is very keen to say he is an apostle. You go to the letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 1, called to be an apostle. He's no less an apostle than the others. That's another, another issue. So what does Luke himself have to say about this work? At the beginning of Acts, he refers to his first work, his first word, his protos logos, reading from the Revised New Jerusalem Bible. In my earlier work, Theophilus, I wrote about everything Jesus began to do and teach from the beginning. The Greek of that is the Protos Logos. That was his first word, his first writing, the Gospel. And we know that at the beginning of the Gospel, the Gospel of Luke, we have a very long introduction. Luke says that many others have already written accounts of the things that have happened. And once again, as with Acts, 
it's dedicated to Theophilus. Theophilus means lover of God. And there is the question, is this a particular person called Theophilus? Or is it uh, written, are, these, are both these books written for all those who love God, who want to come closer to God through Jesus Christ? And in those opening verses of the Gospel, uh, he, at verse 4, chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke, he talks about wanting people to know the trustworthiness, the asphaleia of what is being reported. And he has the same intention in Acts. He's intent, Luke, on linking the events with history, with historical people. For example, there's reference to the Emperor Claudius. Uh, there's reference to Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia. And quite fascinating that through Luke and Acts, there are references to the generations of the Herod dynasty. Herod the Great, in chapter 1 of Luke. Herod Antipas, his son, chapter 3 of Luke. But then when we get into Acts, we have Herod Agrippa I in Acts chapter 12. And Herod Agrippa II in chapter 25. So Luke is linking uh, the events to the secular power, the Roman power, to the power in Palestine. And uh, also he names, as we'll see, several high priests. These things did not happen in a dark corner. That's what... Paul, in chapter 26, verse 26, will say to Agrippa and to the governor, the Roman governor Festus, these things which he's been talking about, they didn't happen in a dark corner. And it's the purpose of Acts to proclaim these events which happened in the real world at a real time with real people and were the beginning of the church, the beginning of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if we go to the very beginning of Acts, remember that that first reading in the Easter season is chapter 10, but if we go back to chapter 1, we find there is an overlap. There's an overlap with the gospel of Luke, which is not surprising. Luke 24, 51. Jesus was taken up, rather like Elijah, taken up into heaven. And he's, as we just saw, he has said to his disciples, I am sending upon you what the Father has promised. I'm sending to you the promise of the Father. And you are to be witnesses. You are to go out and preach. Now, when we go to Acts chapter 1, we find in verse 9 that, uh, well, first of all, Jesus has said in verse 8, you will receive power, the power of the Holy Spirit. In the gospel, it was the promise of the Father. Now it's the power of the coming Holy Spirit. And then you will be my witnesses. Witnesses in Jerusalem, 
in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then, verse 9, he was lifted up while they looked on and the cloud took him out of their sight. We can recall uh, the similarity there with Luke and other Gospels have different ways of marking the ending of the appearances of the risen Jesus. Now, of course, the account, the fuller story, if you like, of the ascension, which we have there in chapter 1 of Acts, is held over until the Feast of the Ascension, 40 days after Easter. Just as the account of Pentecost, which we'll look at in a moment in chapter 2, that's not going to be read in our liturgy, obviously, until the Feast of Pentecost. But let's have a brief look at those events. After the Ascension, let's look at what comes between them, really. We have that account of the ascension of Jesus being taken up. And then chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. The 11, of course, Judas is not with them anymore. There they were in the upper room at prayer. And we have the list given and obviously marking, noticing that Judas is no longer there. And then in verse 14, with one heart, it's the Greek word homothumadon, with one heart, with one mind, it's going to be found various points in the Acts of the Apostles to speak of the, the harmony among these followers of Jesus. There they were, with one heart, persevering in prayer, together with the women and with Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's a very extraordinary and important presence of Mary with those apostles and with his brothers. So that reading, of course, will be something that will figure in the lectionary in the run-up to Pentecost. As will, of course, the story of the election of Matthias to replace Judas. They need to be twelve. Why do they need to be twelve? As there are twelve tribes of Israel, there are twelve apostles of the Lord. Twelve people who found this new Israel fulfilment of Israel and Peter uh, is the spokesman obviously for this uh, he recounts how uh, Judas died uh, if we look at uh, verse 20 or rather before that verse 18 of chapter 1 as you know, he bought a plot of land with the money he was paid for his crime. He fell headlong and burst open and all his entrails poured out. This became known to everyone living in Jerusalem. Now, this conflicts with the story in Matthew 27 that Matthew inserts into the passion story of the death of Judas by hanging. The figure of Judas 
both horrifies and fascinates. We have two different accounts. He came to a sad and tragic end. Was it by his own hand or was it by some kind of uh, devastating sickness? There is um, an ongoing interest in Judas. And this was resurrected um, a few years ago with the publication of the second century Gospel of Judas. This is a Gnostic Gospel. This is not in the New Testament, of course, in which this reflection on what Judas did and that Judas actually enables Jesus to give himself, enables the uh, Jesus to go to his death and therefore he's enabling our salvation, he's enabling the redemption. Very interesting reflections go on and I think today we would be thinking what a tragic figure, um, not simply one to be dismissed but perhaps to be understood. There we are, the focus is not going to be on Judas, it's going to be on someone to be chosen to take his place. And Peter says, someone who from the beginning uh, was with us, from the baptism of John until the day Jesus was taken up from us, we've got to appoint someone. There are two candidates and they draw lots, as if it's God's choice, it's not a democratic vote. And Matthias, of whom then nothing more is heard in the Acts of the Apostles. Matthias is chosen as the replacement. And then we move swiftly, chapter 2, into the account of Pentecost. Pentecost, um, the feast, 50 days after the Passover, seven weeks after Passover. It's another Jewish pilgrimage feast. So once again, Jerusalem would be full of pilgrims, as is noted um, later on in, in this account. You might say, well, is this uh, somehow, how is this linked to the concluding appearances of Jesus in John's Gospel, the text that we, we read on uh, the second Sunday of Easter always? And Jesus comes on the evening of that first day. And among other things, he says, peace be with you. I'm sending you as the Father sent me. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So for John's gospel, the Holy Spirit is the gift of Easter, the gift of the risen Christ. So what then is this? Did the apostles have to wait for 50 days? Or was this rather an event which became rather public because it was them finally receiving the courage and embracing the courage by the power of the Spirit to go out and talk about Jesus. That is Luke's uh, chronology. So we have the 40 days leading to the ascension and the 10 days uh, to Pentecost, which obviously form the basis for our liturgical uh, celebrations. So this is an account of preaching to Jews and proselytes, as it says, from all over, all those uh, names of different parts of the ancient world, 
uh, and then Jews and proselytes alike. Proselytes were those who were becoming, who were joining the Jewish faith, who were not born Jews. And the text tells us of a rushing wind, something like a rushing wind filling the house and something like tongues as if of fire. Remember, this is common in biblical visions that things are compared to something that, that, that we might be able to grasp. It was like a wind. It was like fire. Remember that uh, the fire that there are, you know, there's, there's connections here with the giving of the law um, in, in Exodus. So the fire is present in 19, Exodus 19, 18. And uh, the lightning. And the, no. So this is the feast of the giving of the law 50 days after Passover. Known also as the feast of uh, weeks. Um, links also with the grain harvest. But I think the, the major thing here is the giving of the law. So we have here a giving of the spirit, the spirit that brings fulfillment of the law. So the consequences of, of this event are that the apostles, led by Peter, go out to preach. We are thinking, well, the spirit was around earlier. The Spirit will return. We'll, we'll read how Peter is filled with the Spirit, chapter 4, verse 8. We'll hear how the house shook when the, where the disciples were gathered in chapter 4, verse 31, sometimes called the second Pentecost, a more sort of domestic Pentecost. And then when we come to chapter 10 and Peter uh, visiting the house of Cornelius, again, the Holy Spirit is present. So I think... Uh, the temptation liturgically said, well, this is the coming of the Holy Spirit, and forget that the Holy Spirit is active in the church from the very beginning and continues to be active. Some And, and the different ways in which the Spirit is present, uh, that it can be private, can be an individual, it can be something very public. So all this material relating to the Ascension and to Pentecost is... Uh, these are readings that we'd have as we approach Ascension, as we go the time between Ascension and Pentecost. But in our reading of the Acts of the Apostles, which is every day uh, of the Easter season, we begin with Peter's speech, parts of Peter's speech, um, at Pentecost. Now, one of the features of the Acts of the Apostles, one-third of the Acts of the Apostles, in, in the quantity of verses, is dedicated to speeches, more than 20 speeches. The, the greatest ones will be Peter and Paul. There's a great speech also, which we'll see, uh, about uh, Stephen. Speeches raise... A critical issue. The issue, obviously, there's someone writing it down. And this is, uh, uh, we, can, we can gain insight into this by uh, considering histories of the time, the Greek histories, particularly the great uh, 
Greek historian Thucydides. And I remember somebody said, well, it was Thucydides who wrote about the Peloponnesian Wars. It was Thucydides said, well, if I don't know what he said, I will write down what he should have said, what he would have said, what he ought to have said. And in some ways, we can take that on board when we're thinking, well, how do we get these speeches? What did Peter proclaim um, at that time? And one of the things that you will notice reading through this is the use of the scriptures, the use of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. There is a very long quotation when Peter starts in chapter 2. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. And uh, then he says, this is fulfilling what the prophet Joel proclaimed. I shall pour out my spirit on all humanity and they will prophesy and I will show portents. So um, one of the features of these speeches is the insertion of scriptural quotations. It can happen again and again. Another element which might suggest to us these are speeches which are composed uh, to represent what Peter stands for, what, uh, how Peter would proclaim uh, the gospel. Uh, and then he goes on, and just as we saw with Cornelius, the essence of the preaching is going to be about Jesus, but above all, about his death and resurrection. This man, who was handed over to you in the set plan and foreknowledge of God, you took and had crucified and killed by the hands of men outside the law. That's chapter 2, verse 23. But God raised him up, having freed him from the pangs of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And then he launches into another quotation. This time, what uh, for David says of him in Psalm 16, uh, you will not abandon my soul to Hades. So the speech is well composed. It has as its central feature the kerygma, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and also it, they very often will have quotations from the scriptures. Um, he carries on. If we go to verse uh, 32, God, this Jesus God raised to life, and we are witnesses of this. We are all witnesses. Another quotation, Psalm 110. And then his climax, the whole house of Israel. So you Jews, he's speaking to Jews. And isn't that important? You know, when Paul goes preaching as the apostle of the Gentiles, he always goes first to the Jews. And this great Pentecost, the audience are Jews, Jews and proselytes who come for the feast. And so Peter concludes by saying, the whole house of Israel can know for certain 
that God has made him Lord, Curios, and Christ, Christos, this Jesus whom you crucified. Curios, the title given to God. Right? So he's revealed as being the Lord and the Christ, the Messiah, the one that you crucified. The following verses, and we arrived in chapter 2, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and they said, what are we to do? What are we to do? Ti poesomen. It's quite remarkable that if you go to chapter 3 of Luke, um, the people who come to John the Baptist, the different groups coming, uh, they all say to John the Baptist, Ti poi esomen, what are we to do? It's no good hearing the gospel. Unless you say, well, what am I to do? That's our reaction when we hear. And Peter says, uh, repent, metanoia, change your lives, and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of of your sins. The promise is for you and your children and for those who are far away, for all those whom the Lord is calling. Now this is packed into that verse. There is the plan of the Acts of the Apostles for you and your children, for the Jews those in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but then for those whom the Lord is calling, from those who are far away. Uh, the gospel will be brought by both Peter, but above all by Paul, to the ends of the earth. And the consequence, verse 41, on that day about 3,000 people were added to, the, to their number. Concluding chapter 2, we have one of the great summaries that Luke gives about the life of the church. And he talks about the fidelity of those believers. There are four things to which they remain faithful. The teaching, the didache of the apostles. The koinonia the community, what we also call fellowship, the coming together, the sharing together, and then the breaking of bread, classes to artu, the breaking of bread, that ancient name for Eucharist, used by Paul, 1 Corinthians ten sixteen, the bread that we break, and finally, the prayer. It is a praying community, and we'll see that so often in uh, Acts. So the fourfold fidelity, the teaching of the apostles, the community, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And then just to affirm that koinonia, all the believers were united and owned everything in common. They sold the goods and possessions and divided the proceeds to all according to what each one needed. Now this is 
right from the very start, they take up this social involvement. We share what we have with those in need. And then in verse 46, each day with one heart, says that phrase we had in 114, homo thumadon, one heart, one mind, day by day they went to the temple. They went faithfully to the temple. Remember that at the end of the Gospel of Luke, we have uh, when Jesus is um, has ascended into heaven, the final verse, final two verses of the Gospel of Luke 52 and 53 in chapter 24. They worshipped him and went back to Jerusalem with great joy and they were continually in the temple praising God. I mean, that tells us something about continuity. You know, the Christian faith was born out of the Jewish faith. It was a con continuity. The preaching, the first preaching, the Pentecost preaching is to these Jews uh, who are present from all over but have come for the feast of Pentecost. But at the same time there is this already we're seeing this sense of outreach to those who are further away. So there's a very positive picture given here of the of the community. They met in their houses for the breaking of bread, they share they shared their food with glad and generous hearts. Chapter 2, verse 46, praising God and approved by all, day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So it's a very uh, positive picture. And I think, as with the Gospels, you know, we need to notice in the Gospels, the, because Jesus was crucified, executed, we tend to say, well, he was rejected. But the seeds of uh, faith there which grow, people who did actually uh, believe in Jesus, you look at the frequent references when in John's Gospel we're approaching the Passion story and says, many came to believe in him. The same is true now. Many came to believe in him. And it's above all, as we'll see, the religious authorities and then in connivance with the political authorities who will see Jesus and now see Christian faith uh, as a threat. So we've looked at the first two chapters and I will just take a break now and, and move on and look at some more.
So welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Jean Ambrose. This point of our podcast, we read and reflect on the Word of God, the Sunday Gospel for this week. Before that, we'll ask Shane to pray this prayer. We always pray before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this Word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander. May we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for that, Shane. So the Gospel for today is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verse 1 to 19. Jesus showed himself again to the disciples. It was by the Sea of Tiberias, and it happened like this. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, and Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two more of his disciples were together. Simon said, I'm going fishing. And they replied, we'll come with you. They went out and got into the boat, but caught nothing that night. It was light by now, and there stood Jesus on the shore. Though the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus, Jesus called out, Have you caught anything, friends? And then they answered, No. He said, Throw the net out to the starboard, and you'll find something. So they dropped the nets, and there were so many fish that they could not haul it in. The disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. At these words, It is the Lord, Simon Peter, who had practically nothing on, wrapped his cloak around him and jumped into the water. The other disciples came on in the boat, towing the net and the fish. They were only about a hundred yards from land. And as soon as they and as soon as they come ashore, they saw that there was some bread there and a charcoal fire with fish cooking on it. Jesus said, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon went aboard and dragged the net to the shore, full of big fish, 153 of them, and in spite of there being so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples were bold enough to ask, Who are you? They knew quite well it was the Lord. Jesus then stepped back, took the bread, and gave it to them. And the same with the fish. That was the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after rising from the dead. After the meal, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others do? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He replied, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, Look after my sheep. Then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was upset that he asked him the third time, Do you love me? And said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. I tell you most solemnly, when you were young, you put on your own belt and walked where you liked. 
But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will put a belt around you and take you where you'd rather not go. In these words, he indicated the kind of death by which Peter would give glory to God. After this, he said, follow me. So that's the Gospel for today, the third Sunday of Easter. Shane, would you like to share a few thoughts with us, please? <clears throat> yeah, um, this week's Gospel is an interesting one. So during, during the Easter season, we continue our journey with John. So it's, 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 we're going to hear a lot from, from John's Gospels. And this week's account is taken from the end of St. John's Gospel, where tradition generally sees it as an addendum to the Gospel uh, itself. Um, it's not clear whether it was addendum by John himself or dictated to his disciples, but um, it's, it's, it's an additional part. And it's an interesting one because we have this reference and visit this appearance, I think apparition, this appearance of Jesus uh, at the Sea of Galilee, Lake Genesaris. Um, and it's very much going back to where because we have here James and James and John and the others. They've gone back fishing. That's what they out with. That's what they were originally called to be, you know, their Jesus when he first encountered them, they were fishing. And people, of course, will be would think this as well, you know, there's, there's many similarities uh, you know, in the in the synoptics, but there's encounters like this. And I suppose there's a couple of things, I suppose, John, that strike strike me about this week's gospel. There was there was two things. One is uh, well, there's three things. One is the, the the fishing abundance of fish, which I'll come back to. The second is the encounter with the Lord over a meal, and then the third thing is very much Peter's interrogation. So I suppose if we start with Peter's interrogation first. Um, most <clears throat> scripture scholars and, and down through the centuries, <clears throat> the threefold interrogation of Jesus asking Peter to feed my sheep, feed my sheep, my lamb, is seen as the forgiveness and the recompense of the threefold denial um, before the crucifixion. <clears throat> but it's also seen in certain areas as being um, Jesus giving. He's giving the mandate to Peter to be the community. More so even than that which we're more familiar with in Mark. The one in Mark is the one that's carved in big, huge letters around the dome of St. Peter's in Rome, where it says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Um, but in this one, we have much more, if you like, the synodal <laughs> description of what St. Peter's task is, to lead and lead the community, lead the community of faith, feed my sheep, feed my lamb. And when we listen and we hear that, I suppose that's very much a question we have to ask from two points of view. I suppose, first of all, the question is, for those in positions of ministry and leadership, both from the point of view of clergy, but others that are, that are in the positions of leadership in the church, the question is, 
are we feeding the faithful? Are we living up to that instruction from the Lord to feed the sheep? And it's not seen, you know, it doesn't mean, it doesn't refer to sheep necessarily as blind obedience, but as those in the community that need to be cared for. And there's a lot of, that, that's, a, that's a good question that we have to ask ourselves particularly in a church in Ireland at the moment, which is going through huge changes, where people are clinging on by their fingertips often, where things are changing and things are precarious, and we don't necessarily always have the answers. And it's, it's being able, as Pope Francis has said, to know for leaders in the church to know the smell of the sheep, that they are walking with the communities through those uncertainties and acknowledging that it is a time of uncertainty. So that was, that was one thing that struck me just in relation to that. Um, the other side of it that struck me was the whole idea of the encounter with the Lord around a meal. And it's, it's, a, theme, it's, a, re, it's a theme which comes up throughout all the synoptic gospels, parables, John. Um, you know the, the 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 Lazarus is you know at the at the door of the rich man's house while he's having a feast. The invitation to the, the invitation, the, the the theme of the feast in the parable in the parable of the prodigal son, uh, the celebrations for the, the woman that lost her coin and found it. All of these kind of themes, and of course, ultimately, very much the whole event of the Last Supper very much reminding us that faith and encounter isn't something that's as you know up on our up on a pedestal it's those moments of encounter with the divine are in the day-to-day occurrences of daily life and there's two things that come from that one is the asking ourselves the question where do we make space for the divine in our daily lives in daily tasks that we do and opening ourselves up to those breaths from the Holy Spirit that blow through. The other side of it, of course, is reminding ourselves of that great theme of Father Michal Liston, who was a friend of the program back in the day, where he spoke about kitchen conversations and how our faith is held together with kitchen conversations of us telling each other the story the stories of faith that we pass on, and asking ourselves, where are we making space for those kitchen conversations in our lives? Because linking back to what I was talking about earlier, where feed my sheep, feed my lambs, we cannot maintain our faith. We cannot maintain our journey, our camino together, just if it's like half an hour on a Sunday morning. That's not going to maintain you for the journey. If you were going up if you were going on the Camino, if you were going out to a hurling match, if you were going up to a rugby match, if you were going to a concert, you would have taken sufficient sustenance for the journey. And the idea that we think that half an hour gathered around the table of the Lord in a very short and brief ceremony is sufficient for us to maintain our relationship with the Lord, we have to ask ourselves a small bit of serious questions and for many people, that is a challenge that's there, where religious practice is curtailed and locked down to that attendance at something else. 
And we need to ask ourselves that question. Is that the extent of it? Is that all it means, really? It's something I do on Sunday morning. So those are the types of questions I think we need to ask ourselves. And then finally, John, one of the, I suppose to end on kind of a more positive note, which I take from this Sunday's gospel, is once again, we have this encounter, encounter and account of a huge abundance of fish being caught by the fishermen. And there's this reference to 153 different types. Now, the scholars will argue over it, but generally, if you, if you look it up, it's, it's, the belief is there was, when the gospel was written, there was 153 types of fish in the world. So therefore, the St. Peter and the apostles had captured all of those. And it signifies the fact that the church is open to all of humanity, all of creation. But it also, for me, reminds us again of the abundance of love of God, uh, which we had seen, you know, in the miracle of the loaves and fishes was the great one that we'd spoken about. But again, we see it. They had enough to eat. They had enough around the kitchen conversation and enough to get And very much symbolic of the love of God that's there for each and every one of us, that's calling out to each of us in this and that we are asked to open ourselves up to and to encounter anew as we enter in, as we celebrate the direction of the Lord. Thank you very much, Neil, for that. A lovely reflection there on, on, on three, three of the points in today's Gospel. I suppose the last one, the last point that Shane referred to there is the one that um, we spoke with me, and I remember Father Frank Dewick often saying to us at Lecture Divina, that if something is kind of tugging at you, stay with that one. And the one that I caught with is is the last one when when the, the disciples said they go out fishing, and they went out and got and got into their boat, but caught nothing that night. These are guys who were doing this all their life. Jesus at the on the shore said, "Throw throw it out to starboard, and and you find something." They did, and I suppose in their own lives we can have this situation from time to time too, where we have a project or a task or we take on something. It could be work-related, it could be something at home, it could be something spiritual. And we come to we come to nothing. Nothing comes of it, and despite all of our preparation and so on and so forth, it just doesn't work out for us. And then we brought the situation to prayer and asked the Lord for guidance. And sometimes, quite often, we find after a period of time, we led down a different path that seems, when things seem to come together. Our life has changed. And Michael de Vertais says something very similar this week in his reflection. He says, Lord, we, re- we remember with gratitude our resurrection experiences. Our marriage or a deep relationship had collapsed. A movement we believed in had broken up because of inter- internal feuding. We had unexpectedly lost our job. We went about our daily tasks, but without enthusiasm, just going through the motions. Like Peter saying, I'm going fishing. And the other son saying, we'll come with you. Nothing worked. It was a case of going out in the boat and catching nothing all night. Gradually, however, as the weeks went by, a little light appeared. An inner voice told us it was time to try again. And suddenly things began to come right. There were so many fish we could not haul them all in. 
We now know that the inner voice was your presence within us, a presence that, a presence that never fails us, even though we don't always recognize it at first, like the disciples not realizing that it was Jesus standing on the shore. So that's the gospel and reflection for this, the third Sunday of Easter. Thanks a lot, Shane, for your reflections there and for the Saints of the Week. And we'll go out with our final piece of music. And the piece of music that we chose to go out with today is uh, sung by a guy called Don Francisco. And this one is titled Feed My Sheep. So thanks again for joining us this week. Again, next week, we hope to bring part two of that reflection by Father Adrian Caffrey and the Acts of the Apostles. But until then, for myself and Shane, have a good week. And please God, we'll speak to you again next week. Bye-bye now. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood there by the sea. None of us aboard that boat could tell that it was he. So suddenly our net was full, just as full as it could be. John said, it's the Lord, and I rushed to him through the sea. On the shore we ate with him, just like in days gone by. The words that passed between us, I'll remember till I die. He said, Simon, do you love me more than all these others do? I said, Lord, you have no closer friend. My love for you is true. And he told me, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Believe me, he asked me twice again. So I said, Lord, you know everything. You know I am your friend. If you're my friend, he said, you'll do the things I say. Love my sheep as I do, till I come for them that day. And he told me, feed my sheep.